5: Inside the Green Zone, presented by BetMGM. I am Dave Ross here at Circa, and Wes Reynolds is over there at Mandalay Bay. And, uh, Wes, we do have some, some action here in the NHL playoffs, as you alluded to. Toronto, uh, excuse me, Tampa Bay right now up 1-0 on Carolina. They have gone to the first intermission there, uh, keeping a watchful eye on that. Again, the total uh, in that one, about five and a half. Uh, once the first puck dropped there. Uh, and it's right now down to four and a half as you see the adjusted line in Tampa Bay with that one nothing lead. Now at minus 400 here, so no value there. But you, any, any spunkiness left here for Carolina at plus 295, or do you think this is going to go the way of the Lightning, as that first period certainly did?
2: Yeah, just looking at how that first period played out, Tampa Bay did get a couple power play opportunities. We're not able to convert them, but uh, Point uh, did get the one goal here, so I'm not going to get involved on the in-play because I kind of mentioned, I just think that I wonder when Carolina is going to wear down with all of these injuries, uh, even though they did get the one player back, but without Trochak, without Niederreiter, so eventually that's going to catch up. Tampa Bay had the 12-7 shot advantage in the first period and did all also have two power play opportunities, went 0-2, but nevertheless, Braden Point got a goal to make it 1-0, so I did take the over at plus money in this game, so we'll see how that shakes out. One baseball update I do want to get in, we weren't able to get it in the last segment, Indians currently up 2-1 to over the Orioles, top of the third, and I'm updating that mainly because John Means only went uh, two-thirds of an inning Whoa. and left with the trainer. Of course, John Means through one of the, it seems like, multitude of (laughs) no-hitters that we've had here in Major League Baseball. But you know what? A no-hitter is a no-hitter. I don't care if you're throwing a wet sponge or not. But nevertheless, John Means uh, did leave the game here. Indians got two in the first, Orioles with one in the bottom of the second so basically a bullpen game now for the Orioles Adam Plutko the former Indian going against his his former mates as John Means had to leave early I don't have any update on his status but he did leave the field with the trainer in the first inning
5: yeah two to one right now as you mentioned Cleveland with the lead top of the third we've been uh, updating Detroit and Chicago and right now Wes uh, bad news for our guy Tim Doyle back home in Chicago it's four to three Detroit as they try to close this out top nine right now see if they can get any tack on runs uh, but that would be uh, certainly so far in Major League Baseball with Lucas Giolito opening at minus 220. You see the adjusted line now if the White Sox can make a rally here in the bottom of the ninth, uh, but still top nine, plus 460 if you want to take any juice there. And the Reds right now 5-2 to two over St. Louis. They're also in the top of the ninth inning there, so Cincinnati trying to get a road win. Uh, you mentioned earlier Houston and Toronto, and right now that is all Blue Jays 6-1 to one. Uh, right now, is the score there? Midway through the sixth, the Nationals have a one nothing lead on Philadelphia and Pittsburgh two zip over Miami, uh, Tampa Bay two zip on Texas, Arizona one nothing on Milwaukee and Minnesota up three two on Kansas City. So that's the full action right now in Major League Baseball. We are going to talk much more uh, about that here in the uh, in the third hour as we keep moving along here on the Green Zone. Uh, but I, I, again, I keep getting back to this Metropolitans and San Diego game tonight. And you look at the Mets right now, first place in the NL East, Jacob DeGrom. It's Jacob DeGrom Day for all those Metropolitan fans out there. Very small price that you'd have to lay tonight if you want to take DeGrom. We've talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the show, Wes. Uh, Not a whole lot of movement. I I did mention that it's gone up in some books to six. It's still holding firm here at five and a half. How big a difference does that make in your eyes if you're looking at your sports, sports book and you're not shopping around and you see six instead of five and a half?
2: Yeah, I could only take six on the under, and what's really interesting, Dave, we talk about how rare a a five-and-a-half total is. How rare is a a two-and-a-half first-five total? And that's exactly what you're seeing here at BetMGM, two-and-a-half juice to the over at minus-125, Look, I've got the stomach maybe to take an under five and a half or an under six. I don't have the stomach to take an under two and a half in the first five, knowing that you can get a pass ball or something fluky could happen. That is just really hard to do, and especially but I understand why it is, because Jacob DeGrom, when you're having a 45% strikeout rate and a .57 whip walks per innings pitch, and you've got these kind of numbers, that's why you're seeing these low totals, and then Joe Musgrove is almost like the secondary pitcher in the game, and his CRA is barely over, too.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It should be a goal-scoring affair if form holds out there in San Diego. We will keep an eye on that. Of course, you are Inside the Green Zone, presented by Bet MGM. I am Dave Ross here at Circa West Reynolds over there at Mandalay Bay. And uh, very cool to have Ron Flatter joining us right now, of course, our VEASAN horse racing expert as we get to the final leg of the Triple Crown today, the Belmont Stakes, and that's where Ron is right now. And, Ron, before we really break down this eight-horse field here, Uh, I I do, I'm curious, and I've I've seen you a lot this week, just the vibe that you're getting out there at the Belmont, obviously with Bob Baffert and Medina Spirit, what we saw at the Derby and then at the Preakness. Is that kind of now water under the bridge as far as the controversy? Are we all in the horse racing industry moving on now to the Belmont and trying to get that behind us?
4: Well, what's the word I'm looking for? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not behind us. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of shoes left to drop here and dominoes left to fall and whatever other things you want to have knocked to the ground. I mean, you've got states and racetracks and other entities who are going to drop the hammer on Baffert in one way, shape, or form. We figure that the state of New York will take the indefinite suspension of Baffert and extend it now that Kentucky has its evidence. The two split samples that showed the beta methazone was present in the bloodstream of Medina Spirit, even one picogram was one picogram too much. And so while Baffert and his team, two lawyers at the very least we know of right now, are trying to say, look, this was not something we intended to do with an injection. It was an accidental application with ointment. The mitigating circumstance does not erase the fact that the horse did test positive for an illegal drug. So... Baffert has been banned from here uh, in New York. He's been banned uh, in Kentucky by the Churchill Downs for two years. We're going to hear from California at some point. The horse racing board, they're saying once Kentucky makes it official and formalizes the disqualification of Medina Spirit from his Kentucky Derby victory, they will may have some action. It could impact Baffert's ability to do business in his home state and his backyard in Southern California at Santa Anita and this summer at Del Mar. We do know that he has an open invitation down the road from here at Monmouth Park in New Jersey to come back to the Haskell, which he's won like a zillion times. But uh, we'll see if he's going to accept that. He does at least have that haven there. But no, no, we're far from over in this thing.
2: So, Ron, last question before we get to the uh, Belmont here today, uh, the main event on this card, of course. Uh, a lot of G1s, by the way, a lot of grade 1s, one of the best horse <laughs> cards of the year, eight of them, including the Belmont yeah. Stakes. But but one more uh, on Bob Baffert here. You mentioned California. And everybody knows a little bit of the politics of California. Of course, that's where Bob Baffert's barn is based. That's where he is based. Of course, he has a relationship with those racetracks. Two of the three majors owned by the Stronach Group, which is uh, Santa Anita and also Golden Gate up north, and then Del Mar gets started later in the summer, not owned by the Stronics, But certainly you would think that they would go along with any ruling that California would make. What is your read in terms of California? Because I get a lot of the cynicism from my friends that... That are involved in horse racing and involved in just betting horse racing on a daily basis, you got to figure that California would be maybe the last one to exercise some discipline here on Bob Baffert.
4: Well, if uh, maybe not the last, because New Jersey obviously has gone ahead sure. and said he can come there, but uh, they they have a conundrum here. They want to because of the politics you talked about, animal rights groups in a blue state, and that's catnip. Mm. So they, you can get on the ballot very easily with a measure to say, hey, let's ban horse racing. And that's been the fear. That's part of the reason the Stronach Group has negotiated with PETA and, and groups like that. The other side of that, though, is, okay, so if you go strong against Baffert and really try to impress them to show we mean business, one, are you really necessarily showing those groups that you're friendly to animals necessarily i mean there's a whole whole argument to be made there but the other side of it is the business sense if you take bob baffert out of california you're taking a lot of the heart and soul of racing out of california he's the guy who really makes that engine run remove him and his high profile horses from there and what do you have left and that's a huge question in a state that already is a geographic island against the backdrop of a horse racing industry that is largely in the east, with full crops dropping, field sizes are horribly small in California. So in terms of a business sense, they'd have to look twice and think very hard about putting Bob Baffert on the sidelines for a while.
5: So, Ron, I'm writing down that the answer to that question was, in fact, no. They have not moved on from this issue here at the Belmont. Still all the buzz. And, Ron, I know you're very busy right now. You posted not one, but two uh, you have two published uh, posts today previewing the Belmont here. I know you had some bad weather yesterday. Has the track dried out? Do you think you're going get, to get a fast race oh. today at the Belmont?
4: Oh, oh, it's dried out, believe me. It was dry by midway through the cart already. <laughs> I mean, it's like if you water your garden and it pours down rain the next day, It you know it's 90 degrees out here now, over 90. Uh, it got big. It's baked fast. The, uh, the turf, of course, is still listed as good. So, you know, it takes a little longer for water to settle in there and get out. But uh, as far as the dirt track is concerned for the Belmont Stakes, yeah, it'll be a fast track. It's a hot day. Uh, You got about 11,000 people here, which is, you know, what, eight times smaller than you would have if there were a triple crown on the line. And maybe about four times smaller if you didn't have the tail end of COVID. So, but it is at least a crowd. It's more than the 300 they had last year when they ran this race in June as a mile and an eighth race. But uh, it's. It's getting back to normal here. It feels like it's getting back to normal here.
2: So Ron, uh, going to the actual Belmont Stakes, and I know that you like known agenda, and I want to get to your reasons why here later, but I do want to start with the favorite here that's in the two spot, and that's essential quality. Two to one, a lot of people like that horse in the derby, didn't really have any excuse, ran a solid race, but ended up finishing fourth. But do you think that we have seen the best of essential quality? Like, has this horse peaked at this standpoint? Of course, uh, I believe it won five straight races, if I'm not mistaken, and then took fourth in the Derby. Brad Cox, Luis Saez, the connection here. This is 2-1. to one. We'll see if that goes off as the post-time favorite. But are you willing to take a stand against this horse here in this spot?
4: No, I'm not going to take a stand against him. I'm just going to not put him at the top of my tickets because of what you mentioned at the very end there, 2-1. to one. And that's what he is right now, live, and he'll probably shorten from that once more money starts to come in closer to the race. He's sired by Tappet. Tappet sired three of the last six Belmont Stakes winners in races that went one and a half miles. Two of the exceptions were Triple Crown winners. Uh, you had a tappet finish third to one of them. You had a tappet finish third last year. You had a Tappet finish second to American Pharoah. So Tappets do very well here. So I'm not going to say you don't bet essential quality because you don't like the quality that is essential to win this race. He's, <laughs> he's built to win it. And
5: on merit, he should. I just don't like two to one. Yeah, we're talking to Ron Flatter here. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ron Flatter, of course, our and horse racing expert. And, Ron, it does feel very chalky. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of long shots that could come home at this Belmont. Is there any value that you see past the favorites that we've already discussed? Is there a true long shot here that might surprise some people?
4: Yes, and he is also uh, by the same sire as my favorite known agenda, and that is Curlin, who finished a very close second in this race in 2007 to Rags to Riches, a filly trained by Todd Bletcher. Well, Bletcher trains known agenda, the Florida Derby winner, but at 13 to 1 right now, overtook the number eight horse. He's a million-dollar colt, has some high-profile owners. He looks like he's coming into his own. He's a He's been a deep closer. Deep closers don't do well in this race, so Pletcher's put blinkers on Overtook, which might get him to move more forward at the beginning of the race and put him in better pouncing position to go ahead and make a run at the end of the race. And so I like I'm including Overtook on my tickets, hmm. and I would not be completely surprised if he were to win the race. Although I am still on known agenda at the, at the very top as far as the horse I'm keying.
2: And, Ron, I will say this very much as a recreational horse better. Following New York racing, though, you, Manny Franco is aboard Overtook, and I can't tell you how many pick four and pick six tickets I've <laughs> lost, not including a Manny Franco horse at a price. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By the
4: way, who, who, won, who won the Belmont last year on Tis the Law?
2: Manny Franco. Exactly. Exactly. You can't leave him off these exotics if you want to play the exactos or the tries or if you're in a pick three or a pick four sequence. But, Ron, let's get to a couple horses here that are back here at the Belmont that had rough trips in the Kentucky Derby. One of them, Known Agenda, basically because of the post, drew the rail. I know a lot of people really liked that horse that week, but then it was like, eh, he drew the one spot, so he's going to drift up and I can't really bet him. And then also Rock Your World, who I kind of like for the Derby, uh, John Sadler, Joel Rosario the connection that got absolutely smashed coming out of the gate at the Kentucky Derby and Rosario came out of the irons that never got going. what are your read on those two here in the six and seven hole today?
4: okay well let's go uh, as far as Rock your world is concerned yeah had the rough trip he was supposed to lead the Derby and never got the chance to do so he would if he were to win this race he would probably have to do it leading from gate to wire. Since 1983, only three horses have led from gate to wire and won the race. Two of them were American Pharaoh and Justify. They won triple crowns. The third one was Datara, big long shot who came in here for Nick Zito and won this race. And Zito's a guy who's won this race with long shots before. Uh, he's not here today. Datara's certainly not. Uh, Datara, that was the year that Big Brown was a big bust in 2008. But that's it. That's the entire list of front-running horses that won this race in the last, what would that be, 37 years. That's what works against Rock Your World. And as far as uh, you said, what, Hot Rod Charlie? Was that the other one you mentioned?
2: You, you can go ahead and talk about Hot Rod Charlie because I wanted to follow up with Known Agenda as well.
4: Oh, okay, well, that's fine, yeah. Hot Rod Charlie, I think there's been a bit of wise guy buzz about him Doug O'Neill bringing him in here. He finished third in the Kentucky Derby, seven to two right now in the betting, and uh, I just I'm not confident there. I just I I I just look at him and I'm I'm not convinced. Just looking at him as a horse, that he's going to be able to get it done here, uh, coming back from the Kentucky Derby. But uh, look, Doug O'Neill is he's looking for the career Triple Crown. Uh, he's won two derbies and two preaknesses, so he would get the career triple crown with hot rod Charlie. I'm just not convinced that he gets the distance in this race, and Rock your world he could rock your world would start as a turf horse, and then he wins the Santa Anita Derby, and then uh, like you, we mentioned uh, uh, you know we, you got the issues there with we mentioned with the uh, the Kentucky Derby. known agenda. The reason he comes off the page for me, again, he's by Curlin. He was in post one in the Derby. I mean, that's just the kiss of death when you get drawn into post one. And still, he rallied from 17th to 9th by the time the race was over in a race he was never going to win. So that showed me something about that horse. And just the fact that Todd Pletcher coming back, With a horse from the Derby to the Belmont, that's been a secret of success for him in previous uh, Belmont Stakes victories. And I think he's just loaded for a big one. So known agenda uh, between breeding and the fact that he was better in the Kentucky Derby than his ninth-place result would indicate, that's why he's my pick. And oh, yeah, by the way, 9-2 to doesn't look too bad to me right now either.
5: Ron, when I look at it here, and I, we've talked a lot about a lot of horses not named Ron Bauer. Now, obviously, he was the surprise at the Preakness here, uh, going off of around 3-1 to one here. Is there any value there, or do you think that was an aberration, and maybe the mile-and-a-half track here might be a little bit too long for him today?
4: Yeah, he, he's not 3-1. He's 7-1. And there's been a lot of Twitter traffic right now about why in the world is he getting faded. Uh, well, again, he's a closer. They've run this race 90 times in this configuration at a mile and a half at this track. Only five closers have won it. By closer, I mean more than two lengths off the lead when you turn for home. It's a short stretch here. It looks long, but they only use half of it for the end of the race, 366 yards. That's one reason. Another one is Preakness horses. Never mind Preakness winners. Preakness horses in the last 15 years don't do well in this race. The only two that won the race after coming out of the Preakness and even running in it in the last 15 years. Again, I've mentioned these names before, American Pharoah and Justify. <laughs> and I don't see Ron Bauer fitting in that role either. So I, I think uh, it, it was a nice story. I loved Ron Bauer in the Preakness, had money on him, made out pretty well in the Super Effective play. But I, he, I'm not including him here. I just don't see him at a mile and a half getting the job done.
2: Ron, back to known agenda really quickly, of course. Uh, we usually don't get a jockey change on basically the day before or the day of the <laughs> race, but we it was kind of the hand was forced here with Irad Ortiz yep. Jr. going down in the fifth race on Thursday at Belmont. So his brother, Jose Ortiz, is going to take over. And if you know anything about New York racing, and I know that you do, the Ortiz brothers, both of them, win a lot of races here in New York, whether it's at Belmont, Aqueduct, or Saratoga. But you follow this on a day-to-day basis. Basis. Maybe most casual bettors do not. Is there really a difference, I guess, in the writing style between Jose Ortiz and his brother, Arad Ortiz Jr.?
4: Yeah, one's more tactical, one's more aggressive, but really come see, come saw. And let me mm-hmm. just say this today. Irad Ortiz was scheduled to be on her horse in every race today. In the first races, the early races today, already five of the horses he was supposed to be on, one with other riders, including <laughs> three by Jose. <laughs> so do you really want to fade this horse just no. because of the jockey change, knowing that? I think not. <laughs>
5: Ron Flatter. No, it is not, a, not at it, all. Yeah, absolutely. Do not do that fade. Ron, enjoy the race out there at the Belmont Stakes. We appreciate the time, and we'll catch up again soon.
4: It was a pleasure. Go cash some tickets, Chance.
5: Absolutely. It's Thank you, fun. Ron. And very quickly, uh, before we go go to break here, Carolina, in the time that we were talking to Ron, a couple goals here, and they now have a lead at Tampa Bay, 2-1. to one, So that series could be interesting if that holds up, uh, looking now about 12 minutes to go here in the second period. Uh, but Carolina, bang, bang, two goals here to open up that second period to take that lead. Uh, we've got some finals in Major League Baseball starting to come across. Detroit did hold on and get that win over the White Sox 4-3. to And right now the Reds in the bottom of the ninth, but there are two on for St. Louis. The Reds trying to hold on to a 5-2 to lead. We'll give you that update when we come back right here on the Green Zone here at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network.
6: renters you can use angie too for moving installations or cleaning angie can even help with extremely specific projects just tell them what you need and angie'll find the right solution for you get started at angie.com that's a-n-g-i.com or download the app today
1: step into the world of power loyalty
5: Welcome back inside the Green Zone presented by Bet MGM Dave Ross here at Circa. Wes Reynolds is over at Mandalay Bay. And Wes, we were talking a lot of Belmont stakes there with Ron Flatter. Meanwhile, they weren't listening down in Tampa because we've had an offensive explosion in this second period. Two quick ones for Carolina inside the first 10 minutes, and Tampa just got the equalizer. So we're all knotted up at two midway through this second period. Uh, I had seen the adjusted uh, over-under going to five, going to six and a half. Now it's uh, six right now as we stand. Remember that dropped down to four and a half after only one goal in that first period. So, boy, right now, Tampa, it feels like a good price uh, at plus uh, 138. That's going to change now with that score being tied up here. What do you make of this, and do you kind of like the goals to keep coming and maybe take that total at six uh, to push over if we can get 3-3 here?
2: Yeah, I, I would certainly look at that. I'm on over 5.5 at plus $1.20. And, by the way, that tying goal you just mentioned, Steven Stamkos, mentioned that Tampa Bay Lightning power play that is very potent, mm-hmm. certainly showing as much, even though they didn't take advantage here in the first period. But Stamkos uh, lights a lamp here now 2-2. Two to two. I do think this is going to keep coming because – these two teams are going at it right now. They are both keeping the pressure on deep in the zone. So I got to think we're at least getting a couple more goals here. Yeah,
5: it feels like it. And again, right on the spot, guess what happened, Wes? Goal Carolina. Yep. <laughs> so, Johnny on the spot, that's going to keep ticking up, up and away. Wow. And this is what happens sometimes, Wes. You know this. Once the avalanche starts, it's hard to stop. And the goals mm-hmm. pouring in now. Three second-period goals for Carolina uh, came in as the solid underdog in this one. Uh, and right now taking that lead 3-2, to two, Tampa Bay still leading this series, of course, two games to one. Um, but boy, this has got to be a bit of a shell shock scenario if you're Tampa right now. Kind of want to regroup and try to get out of the second period without any more damage happening. But when you've already given up three here, Vasilevsky looking a little shaky between the pipes here. You wonder if it's in his head right now because Carolina at full attack mode as I get that third one behind him.
2: And this is the most pressure Carolina has really put on them all series. We're now into game four. Dougie Hamilton, by the way, on the goal now, 3-2, to 9.25 left to go in the second period down in Tampa. Because if you look at the numbers coming into today, Dave, in terms of the series, uh, some of the stats, high danger chances in the five-on-five. Tampa Bay had 30. Carolina had 21. The expected goals on the power play substantially higher for Tampa Bay, 192 against 102 for Carolina. China, but All of a sudden now Carolina really putting the pressure on because we mentioned in game three where Tampa Bay probably played their best game in the series, yet they lost. They had 15 high danger chances, and it's just Morozik was up to the task. So right now, three to two, this was one nothing after the first period, but absolutely the game has turned uh, on its axis here and uh, seeing a lot of goals down here.
5: Here's what makes me nervous, Wes, if you're a Carolina backer, because right now with that third goal, they go to minus 225 for this one here. It just feels like, it's a, a shootout that we are witnessing right now. I wouldn't feel real solid about laying 225. Obviously, you would have wanted to get it, get it before this, this game actually dropped uh, for that puck. But what, what do you make here? Do you like what you've seen, obviously, from Carolina to hold it? Would you, would you consider laying 225 if you are a Carolina backer?
2: I wouldn't be laying the 225 here just because of the potency of Tampa Bay's offense. Not that Carolina's not potent in their own right. They certainly have been. uh, won that division down there, where Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida and Nashville were battling in that Central Division. So this is a very good hockey team, but I don't know if I would want to lay 225 here in the spot. But they are absolutely putting the pressure on. Almost had another goal there to make it <laughs> yeah. four to two. So uh, I, they're all they're all over Tampa Bay right now.
5: Yeah, they are buzzing right now. About seven minutes to go here, 7:30 uh, to be exact in the second period. And you're right, Carolina is buzzing all around. Vasilevsky probably just just get a. Clear the zone, will you? Just give me a second to breathe because Carolina is all over them right now. And, again, uh, if you want to take Tampa, you can get that back at plus 175. But Carolina at minus 225. We did mention uh, we do have some Major League Baseball finals that have come in. Detroit did get that win uh, over the White Sox. That was a big underdog. Uh, you cashed that ticket if you took Detroit today. They got that uh, 4-3 to win. And very Add another quickly. another
2: tally, by the way, in Tampa Bay, Dave.
5: There you go. right? I saw it right out of the corner of my eye, west, right on it, 4-2. to And you wonder now if you're John Cooper and you're looking at your goaltender giving up four like he has in the second period. We'll monitor this situation here. But, boy, things have turned on its axis here as Carolina just keeps uh, storming the castle repeatedly with that fourth one. This one goes top shelf. It gets a piece of the mask of Vasilevsky but does find its way through. And a bit of a shock right now in Tampa holding that 2-1 to series lead. But it is precarious at best. As right now, Carolina taking control of this game 4-2 to two right now as we play the second period. You are inside the green zone right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. The Belmont stakes, of course, is today, and the VEASAN horse racing experts are analyzing the horse's track conditions and prior race results to find you that betting edge. Our team is here to get you ready to make your best bet on the final race of the Triple Crown. Visit VEASAN.com slash horses to find our full race coverage, special offers from our partners, including a $20 credit at the VEASAN store, and picks from horse racing specialists, including Dave Tooley, Ron Flatter, Jeff Siegel, Millie Ball, and Jeremy Plonk. That's VEASAN.com. Slash horses. Dave Ross with you back here in the Green Zone inside the beautiful Circa Sportsbook and Wes Reynolds is over at Mandalay Bay and Wes, we've been talking a lot about the hockey game. Guess what? Just got a goal. I was <laughs> going to give you the updated odds because before Tampa had just scored, you could have got them at plus 450 or on the goal line, you could have got plus two at even money. That's now off the board as Tampa has just scored with 522 to go here in a wild third period. Remember, it was one nothing after 1 Tampa, and right now, as it stands, 4-3 to three Carolina. But Tampa Bay is not going anywhere, so this is just crazy. Look at that, 8.5 right now when you see it. And that was at 4-2, to two, and now, again, Tampa literally seconds ago has just scored, so that's going to tick upward. Yep. Uh, Wes, this is absolutely insane, as we've already had six goals in the second period.
2: Kucherov with the power play goal here and his fourth goal of the playoffs. And like I said, even though when we were talking about that, Carolina got another goal and made it a two-goal lead, that's why I didn't necessarily want to lay the two in the quarter with the Hurricanes here because of that power play for Tampa Bay. Now two power play goals in this second period alone, still five more minutes left to play before 40 minutes are done. But that's the danger against Tampa Bay. Even if you got a couple-goal lead, they're never out of it because that power play is so lethal, about 40% so far in the playoffs, probably even higher than that when you take into account what they've done so far here in the second period.
5: And here are those adjusted odds. Uh, you, you see it here, 4-3 to three is the score. Of the total now 9.5. So you're going to get 10 goals if you want to do the in-game uh, and bet that over. You see that's juiced up a little bit, just right there, plus 100. But the under at minus 127. Uh, on the puck line there, if you want Tampa to – Possibly come back? Well, you're feeling pretty good about getting plus one, but you got to lay the 157 there. Are you intrigued now, Wes, to hop in mid-game? Or are you still staying clear of this thing? Because this has just been wild and woolly in this second period.
2: I've already got a winner that I got to wait for it just to be completed <laughs> to cash here at the over five and a half. So I think I'm going to take my money and run here on this one and just, you know, sit back and be entertained. Nothing wrong with that. So that's what I'm going to do here at this game.
5: And that's why Wes Reynolds is a very smart man. Just enjoy that free money that you have right there and enjoy the rest of the contest. Wes, I did want to take a look ahead as we, we want to talk a little college football here. It's never too early to look at the lines that we have uh, in week number one. It's really a loaded schedule coming out this year, and obviously it's going to feel very differently than it did last year. Uh, you've got uh, North Carolina here, uh, the first game on tap, six-and-a-half-point favorites at Virginia Tech. Uh it's going to be a very interesting matchup there, Georgia and Clemson. That game's in Charlotte with Clemson laying three-and-a-half there. Bama, we we've, we've talked a little bit about this game uh, last night uh, on the nightcap, laying 17-and-a-half against Miami, LSU three-and-a-half against UCLA on the road, Indiana at Iowa, Iowa the home favorite, five-and-a-half, Michigan State and Northwestern, Northwestern laying six-and-a-half, and Notre Dame minus 10 at Florida State. I do want to dive in a couple of these, but Wes, what really jumps out to you as a line that you think you might get some value with right off the jump? Well, in
2: terms of week one, and I'd like to see if it'll go a little higher. I think the number's about right at five and a half. But that would be Indiana and Iowa having to have a conference opener in the first week of the season. These teams not used to that, certainly. Usually Iowa's playing, you know, a northern Iowa or somebody from the MAC, like a northern Illinois, before they got to go play the Cy-Hawk game against Iowa State. Early in the season, Indiana usually opens with a lesser non-conference opponent. Kind of got to crawl before you can walk. Now they've made two bowl games in a row for the first time in many, many years. Indiana's season win total is now eight. It's been six the last couple years. So expectations are high at my alma mater down in Bloomington. (laughs) And they get Iowa here. And a little bit of a wrinkle in this game that probably won't get talked about. Might be a little bulletin board type of thing is that, Indiana, prob- uh, Indiana thought that, you know, if Ohio State was going to have to cancel their season for COVID-19 because they had missed so many games in a row, and then they changed the rules as we're now tied at 4-4, four to four, 2.50 left to go down here in the second period in the hockey game. But back to Indiana and Iowa, if you look, Indiana, I think, They really did not like the fact that the rules got changed against them and allowed Ohio State to be in the Big Ten title game, and then, of course, they advanced on. So Indiana thought that they were going to maybe be in line for one of those New Year's Six games. Now, Indiana ended up laying an egg and losing down there in the Outback Bowl against Ole Miss, but who was the head of that college football selection committee that would be the Iowa athletic director (laughs) Gary Bartz so a little bit of a nuance here and and Dave I go back this is kind of just on personal experience because I'm a very small donor to my alma mater's athletic program and I remember we had a kind of a little donor gathering and the athletic director the previous athletic director at Indiana University is like okay where do we see this football program getting to? What is our goal here? What is our end game? And he said outright, our goal is to be an Iowa level. And I, as a fan who have seen so much bad football from the Indiana Hoosiers my, virtually my entire adult life, sure. was like... You know what Iowa level sounds great to me. We win 8-9 games pretty much every year, maybe once a year every 7-8 years you win 10 games, go to a New Year 6 or the old BCS type of bowl. So this is going to be interesting here. Now, with Indiana, you've got to see if Michael Penix Jr. is going to be back, the sure. quarterback. He, of course, is coming off surgery, and Jack Tuttle had to take over, did a good job. But Penix is the guy that's going to be their starter going forward if he is back healthy. So I'm interested in that one. Uh, Also interested a little bit in Georgia and Clemson. Clemson, unlike Alabama, kind of keeps the continuity of their staff, whereas Alabama is kind of like the Betty Ford Center for coaches (laughs) where Nick Saban basically rehabilitates them and they go get head coaching jobs or big coordinator jobs somewhere else. Well, now you got Georgia here, and Kirby Smart is adding, as a consultant, not as a coordinator, Will Muschamp is coming in, who's a very good defensive coach, and Georgia always has a good defense. Now you're getting a full year starting of JT Daniels, who I think is an upgrade at quarterback, so Georgia, at least at first glance, kind of interests me getting points here against Clemson on this neutral site game in Charlotte.
5: I will just tell you, Wes, my people back there in the Virginia Tech area, Roanoke area, Virginia, very disrespected that they're getting 6.5 against UNC in that week one matchup. That's one that I certainly have my eye on. And you mentioned it, uh, Tyler Johnson got the equalizer for Tampa. That game is just off the rails right now at 4-all. Remember, it was one nothing Tampa. Carolina took a 4-2 lead, and Tampa has already... Tied it back up here at four, so we'll keep a watchful eye on that. But as we wrap up the Green Zone here, uh, when we come back, we will get you ready for game one of the Eastern Conference between uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, which should be a great series. You are inside the Green Zone right here on v the sports betting network. a $1 wager on the Bucks or Nets in a 100 with BetMGM. If either team hits a 3 just use the bonus code VESAN100 when you sign up for the king of sportsbooks and get ready for showtime. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com for more details and make sure to use the promo code VESAN100. New customer offer, paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. You must be 21 years of age or older to wager in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. It does exclude michigan disassociated persons please gamble responsibly if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 in colorado nevada and virginia 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in michigan 1-800-GAMBLER in new jersey pennsylvania and west virginia and 1-800-BETS-OFF in iowa in tennessee call or text the red line at 800-889-9789 in indiana call 1-800-9 with it promotional offer not available in nevada Dave Ross here at the Circus Sportsbook and joined by Wes Reynolds over at Mandalay Bay. Again, it's still 4-4 right now, but every time we seem to look up, Wes, there's another goal. Uh, meanwhile, while that uh, craziness was unfolding down there in Tampa, you had your eye on what's going on at Jack's place at the Memorial. We talked about John Rom, and I, I urged everybody, you might want to wait to do uh, any live betting here to see what these guys do in the back nine. And right now, as you call him the Rominator, looking pretty good to go back-to-back if his third round is any indication.
2: Yeah, Jack Nicklaus did some renovations, wanted to make this course a little bit tougher. I remember everybody used to talk about tiger-proofing a course, right. but he needed to rombo-proof this course <laughs> because John Rahm right now here at Bet MGM, six-shot lead here, two holes left to play here, 17 and 18, two of the tougher horses on uh, holes on the golf course. But nevertheless, John Rahm, minus $7 to get this done tomorrow at Bet MGM. Marikawa behind him, 11-1. Patrick Cantlay, 12-1. So uh, we shall see if John Rom can go birdie birdie here. He'd have the 54 hole scoring record in this event. But I don't think it was expected that we were going to see 17 under here at this stage of the game here late on Saturday, but John Rahm absolutely on one, seven under par through 16 holes today. So uh, won it last year, 22 to one. I didn't come back for seconds at half (laughs) the price at 11 to one, but I'm usually a little price sensitive on these futures. I wish I would have though. And uh, just as I say that, by the way, Another power play goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Do not get in the penalty box against these guys. They will make you pay, and they are making Peter Mrozik and the Carolina Hurricanes absolutely pay. This game is actually being televised on the USA <laughs> Network, Dave, and this is the most action we've seen on the USA Network since Stone Cold, Steve Austin against the Rock, and the Attitude Era on Monday Night Raw.
5: Yeah this is amazing and again you could have gotten Tampa Bay if you wanted to do the live betting at plus 450 when they were down 4 to 2 which feels like 10 seconds ago less and all of a sudden yeah. bang 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 here we are 5-4 now Tampa as they try to get out of this second period. Ironically, Stamkos, Stamkos gets his second, second of the game. Second power
2: play ball, yep.
5: There you go. And, and again, Wes, you know, I was thinking it was Tampa Bay that wanted to kind of limp into the third intermission here, uh, the second intermission to get to the third period. And now it's it's totally role reversal here. So a 5-4 lead for Tampa here. Uh, we only have about 22 seconds to go in a wild second period. Again, eight goals scored in all here. And you got to think, up two games to one, and it's rocking down there in Tampa. I mean, Wes, what a dagger this would be if you're Carolina, if you can't come back and rally in the third period and fall three games to one behind. You've got to feel like this is certainly a couple of nails in the coffin, don't you?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because you finally got some offense going, and we're able to kind of uh, match Tampa Bay's speed here and, and getting some pucks on the net and whatnot. The shot count is actually relatively equal. Tampa Bay was a small edge, 22-19, to 19, as uh, the whistle finally blows, or the horn <laughs> finally sounds here, in yeah. a very eventful second period. About eight goals, uh, four apiece on both sides, so Carolina trailing after 40 minutes, 5-4. to four. What, a, what a hockey game this has been. We've seen some of these low-scoring grinder games, which you're going to get in the playoffs, because the defense and the goaltending, like Tim Doyle said about NBA playoff defense, Right. Playoff Off defense in the NHL is different than regular season uh, defense, and and not today though. Five to four, Tampa Bay after 40 minutes.
5: Well, Wes, that was my whole thing here. I thought we're going to get all the scoring in about 90 minutes when we tip off Game One here, the second round between the Bucks and Nets here, and really those numbers have held through the out, out the afternoon. Here on the green zone, still looking at, at, at Brooklyn here, about minus four. And the over-under, 239, 239.5, depending on, on your book. So not a lot of changes so far in the money that we've seen here for game one. And, again, I know that you and, and we did have Tim Doyle on earlier in the show. He loves hammering the Bucks here in this spot. Uh, I, I guess no reason to back off that now as we're about, uh, what, about uh, 100 minutes away from tip here. And you see it there, 239.5 and four uh, for Brooklyn. And and I know I'm surprised to hear over at Mandalay Bay, at least, that they're looking for Brooklyn, that the money has been coming in there. That feels like maybe a sharp's perspective is a little bit different than the public's perspective. Is that what you'd read there?
2: This could be a little bit of a pros versus Joe situation because I think if, if you kind of look at the national media, they're, of course, all over the Brooklyn Nets because they're kind of the shiny new toy with the big three here. But sometimes in sports betting, you can get into kind of a when in doubt, fade the national media. And sometimes <laughs> I'll use that, especially in something like the NFL where you only have 17 weeks and it's like, okay, if a team loses, you know, it's not like in the NBA or NHL or baseball you lose a game or two. It's no big deal. That's going to happen. You're going to have losing streaks with more games in a season. And it's DEFCON 5, you know, if you lose two in a row right. at some point during the NFL season, then you get that overreaction. So oftentimes I like to play against that. Seeing basically four in the market here on the Brooklyn Nets tonight. A little bit juice to the Milwaukee side at some uh, uh, sharp, faraway places, shall we say, uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, we want to do right by our sponsor and go ahead and mention them. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, we're seeing some fours, kind of a little bit juice to that Milwaukee side. So some books are going to have different exposures here. Obviously, MGM, they had a lot of people on, on that Brooklyn future and whatnot, but it's going to vary, I think, from book to book a little bit here. Some might be a little heavier on Milwaukee, but I got to think that they are the underdog in this series. They have been taking some sharp money though because when I was talking about this on the air on Wednesday here on Beeson the Bucks at one point were like plus 200 mm. to to uh, win this series. And now I'm seeing them as low, including one very sharp faraway place at plus 149. You are now seeing this get into the 150 territory. I think at MGM, I think it's still about 160 in that range right now, but that's basically what you're seeing. I think a lot of people are finally figuring out, hey, this Bucks team is pretty good. Both these teams have their issues defensively, but, you know... I think this is probably the point where maybe you take the stand against the Nets because everybody is kind of seeing this right now as the de facto or ex-officio Eastern Conference Finals just because we don't know Joel Embiid's status. And look, Atlanta could very well, and Tim Doyle brought that point up earlier. I don't think you could bet Atlanta in Game 1. I think if you like them in the series, you might get that kind of, fallen hero or rally around the family type Mm -hmm. of thing here with Philadelphia where they come out strong and go ahead and win game one as a small home chalk and then maybe come in on Atlanta down 1-0 in the series. Uh, You know, this is predicated on the, the Embiid injury factor and whatnot, but even if Atlanta wins that series, I don't think anybody sees them getting to the NBA Finals. I just think now you're jumping up in class when you're facing a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn.
5: You know, it was interesting when we had Tim Doyle on in the second hour. We were looking at some of those player props, and really you and Tim kind of have led me down that primrose path to go with Giannis Kumbo over 32-and-a-half, but Timmy even liked the rebounds for the Greek Freak today in Game 1 as maybe a strong player prop there. Do you agree with Tim's assessment that, look, he's probably going to gobble up 14, 15 rebounds here, easy double-double for the Greek Freak? Do you like that play as well, not just the points as we see here at 13-and-a-half?
2: I would certainly lean that way. I mean, that is obviously a very high number, and I think, you know, these guys that set these props, they're, they're not dumb. They know <laughs> that Brooklyn you know is a little bit deficient in terms of a size perspective you have a DeAndre Jordan that I think is obviously on the back nine of his career Blake Griffin, uh, uh, really a shell of what he used to be, trying to get that ring here at the end of his career. And then you have Nick Claxton, who I think is a very good player, but he's too small I think for Giannis, and he can just get pinned down low if they decide to go iso ball in some kind of situation. And then Giannis, obviously, will have the ball at the top of the key, and he gets that quick first step off the bounce, and you're not going to be able to stop him. It's like you've got to basically put him at the line. You have no answer for that. So I just don't think Brooklyn has has that kind of size. I mean, they'll try KD out on him, I think, a little bit on the perimeter, but even KD's not going to be able to really stop him necessarily from getting to the rack. He certainly can, I think, play him a little bit on the perimeter, but I just don't think that they have anything for Giannis here. It's just who's going to step up and be that other option. We, we, we got to think Middleton is going to give you what he gives you, But can one of those guards, those backup guards, not necessarily Drew Holiday, but with DiVincenzo out, I think Bryn Forbes is perhaps going to be big in this series and going to have to be, certainly was, in the Miami series. And then also Pat Connaughton likely to get the start without DiVincenzo in the lineup.
5: Very quickly, when I look at the Nets uh, player props, what really fascinates me, out of the big three, the lowest assist total out of those big three, Kyrie. At three and a half, mm-hmm. right? Isn't he mm-hmm. supposed to be the traditional point guard, and yet you're looking at that, and that's the guy they count on the least to be the distributor. What do you make of, of that option there? Because it feels like it's so low, it's double-dog daring you to take Kyrie on the over for the assists.
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit too low, to be honest with you, Uh, just uh, looking forward kind of what we've seen so far. I know he's averaging only 2.8 assists uh, through the one series of play, but that's one series you don't want to put too much into that, and it's his postseason career low, but I think uh, the assists were much better during the season. I think three and a half is an overreaction. He averaged six in the regular season. He averaged five and a half against the two contests he played at Milwaukee this year. So I do think three and a half is too low, and I would lean to the over here in that spot.
5: And a very quick update from the Memorial. You're right on with with John Rahm. He's now at 18 under par, just having a great day out there at Jack's place. And again, uh, all afternoon long, keep you updated on everything going on here. And it's five to four right now, Tampa Bay, as they start get ready to start that third period against Carolina. Wes Reynolds, uh, really a joy to have you with me today here on the Green Zone. I will see you back here tomorrow, right here on Veasan, the Sports Betting Network. If you dare.